Thanks for tuning into the Foundry Church podcast, where our mission is to make disciples by guiding people to forge a lifelong reliance on God. This week, Pastor Andrew asked us to reflect on the Christmas story and the signs that we're given to expect not something from Christmas, but someone. You can find more information about who we are, what we do, or when we meet by going to thefoundrychurch.com. God bless. Listen, right? You've made it through Thanksgiving, and I am so proud of you. Uh, man, I'm proud of you, right? Does anyone still feel full from the big day on Thursday? Right? Maybe you're you just took off your stretchy pants to come to church on uh, this morning, right? Right? Are uh, you guys still eating leftovers? Right? Who's whose fridge is still full of all of the goodies? Now, listen, we've made it through Thanksgiving, and now we're on to the big day. Right, the big day being Christmas, and I can't be more excited. Right, for the the next month, everything you see here, taste, uh, will be focused on the Christmas day that we're anticipating. And I know for my wife that this time of year, she this is the day that she looks forward to the most out of the entire year. Right? I mean, it, it gets crazy in the Keeney household. If it were up to her, uh, she would be decorating for Christmas uh, before Halloween, and the decorations would probably stay up in our house until, well, probably Easter. And so we had to have kind of a, a sit-down, and we had to establish some rules in our home. Right? Christmas decorations cannot go up until the day after Thanksgiving, and they have to come down the first week after the New Year's Day, right? But, but here's the thing with rules, right? Each year, she tries to convince me uh, that the rules are just a little bit too strict, that the, the mutually agreed-upon rules that we had are just too tough, too strict. And each year she reminds me of the importance of, of Christmas and how it is the birth of our Savior, and we know this, and we should celebrate that as early and as often as possible, and those are her like arguments uh, about the rules. And then Foundry Church, I gently remind her that we don't need a Christmas tree or we don't need mistletoe or, or garland or a life-size nutcracker by the door to celebrate the birth of our Savior. And before you say it, right, I'm not a Scrooge. Right? I'm not. I love the Christmas holiday and I love some of the, the silly things that we do uh, that have little to do with the birth of our King, King Jesus. I still love those silly things. Heck, I was born on Christmas. It's a pretty good day, right? The, the birth of Jesus and me, what else more could you ask for, right? It's a great way to celebrate. But here's why we established the rule of decorating. Because I know what the false hope of expectation can do. All right, let's think about that. And that's what it all comes down to. The false hope of expectation and what it can do. 
And let me, let me explain it like this. Right? There is a feel to this time of year. Right? And we love that feeling. Right? Just the, uh, the, the lights and the, the decorations and the, the, the snow. We love the feeling that we have from those things. But as we start celebrating earlier and earlier and we're wearing Christmas sweaters when it's still 90 degrees outside, we must ask ourselves a question. What are we expecting from Christmas? Right, well, what are we expecting from Christmas? Right, what do we want from this season? What do we put our hope in that makes this season merry and full of hope and joy? What do we long to have that makes Christmas a favorite time of the year? Really, we gotta, we got to look at it like this. What are we expecting from this holiday? Right? When we put up our trees or we, we hang the stocking or eat our first Christmas dessert and we get those feelings that are bubbling up inside of us, what are we expecting for Christmas? For real, right? The, the signs are all around us pointing us to things that we can hope for for this Christmas season. Almost every commercial that we watch from here until the big day, right? Every television special, every uh, classic movie, right, promises us a false reality, right? These things tell us that we're going to gather as a family, we're going to have a, a group hug while we, we carve the ham, or in Christina's weird family's choice, they have lasagna instead of ham, right? And, and these TV specials and these commercials, they're going to tell us that, that we're all going to be laughing and just be living in pure joy, so again, what are we expecting from Christmas? Right? We are expecting grateful children who will run and give us hugs for their, their presents. And, and they will behave uh, sweetly all day because they're overflowing with, with joy and, and generosity for their siblings. Listen, we all know that approximately five minutes after all the presents are open, your kids will find something wrong and they will start complaining, right? Or we'll have forgotten the batteries for the new toy, or, or you'll have gotten the black hoodie instead of the white hoodie, and everything is crushed. Everything has gone wrong. Right? Listen, something is going to go wrong. We just know that it's going to happen. We can count on it happening. But the signs of Christmas are everywhere, right? And so we expect this year to be different because of the movies, because of the commercials, all those things that we already listed. Maybe it isn't the good behavior of your kids that you're expecting. Maybe you're expecting to go home and not have your parents criticize every move that you've made in the last year. Right, maybe uh, the first thing your mom says when you come in for the Christmas holiday is, is some information that she's gathered about a new diet that you should try. Or your dad points out that when he was your age, he had his whole life together and it seems like you're just falling apart. Right, your, your parents are going to criticize. You know it's going to happen every year. The, the signs are everywhere, but we expect this year to be different. Or let's try this, right? This year, you've decided to do things a little different. You're not going to go home. You're, you're just going to 
uh, stay by yourself. You're not going to buy anyone any presents. You're going to treat yourself to, to some solitude and some peace and quiet. And then the big day arrives and you're sitting alone on the couch. You're, you're eating Chinese food and you're wondering, why are you so lonely? Right? Expectation. Didn't get met. Right? It's not that, uh, that um, it's as great as you think it's going to be. Right? It just, it never is. Right? The, the signs, again, are everywhere, but this year, we expect things to be a little different, like we do with every year. Right? For me, for example, right? You think this, this is the year, right? You're, you're finally going to get that deer that you've been hunting for for the last couple of years, and you get a billion pictures sent to your phone every day from a trail camera that's, that's two states away, and you think, this is it. Right, This holiday season's the, the year I'm going to get this deer. And then your buddy, he sees it a billion yards away. And he thinks that you have suddenly developed elite sniper level skills. Right? Where you can calculate the rotation of the earth, factoring in the, the strength of the wind and gravity and all the other stuff that you have to calculate in your head to make a shot of that distance. And you, you just tell him, I don't think I can do it. This is an impossible shot. And then he takes your gun. This just happened last week. Right? And he shoots at the deer and he misses nine times. Right? And now no other deer will come within a mile of your tree stand. And you expected this year to be different. But again, your hunting buddy messed it up again. Right? Listen, the signs were all there. We knew it was, wasn't going to be the year, but every year I expect to get that deer. Right? Why do we do this? Church. Right? Right? Why do we do this with everything? Why do we do this with Christmas? Right? I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer. I know it's kind of a bit sounding like that. But listen, I'm just trying to point out that every year we have such high expectations for this time of year, and every year we're, we're let down, hopefully just for, for a little bit of it, not all of it, right? And here's why I think we get this over and over again, why we kind of go through this cycle year after year, because we're looking at the wrong signs, right? We're looking at the wrong signs of the season. You see, a thousand other signs are, are subtly or even overtly competing with the real signs of Christmas. Like this one from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, where it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Right? Somewhere along the line, Pony Church, we have, we have shifted our focus from looking for signs of the coming and the reigning king to looking for signs of just a, a happy family for just a, a quick season, a grateful kid for one day, and a, a loving set of parents that aren't going to criticize, or shooting a deer that is like a ninja for the last few seasons. Right Somewhere along the line, we stopped looking for the signs of good news and of great joy. And we, we, and we found ourselves for something that does not exist on this earth because we live in a fallen world, Foundry Church. We, something has gone wrong in you. Something has gone wrong in me. Something has gone wrong in the cosmos. Something 
is broken. Right? This, this severance between God and humankind led to just a brokenness that overflowed into a brokenness in the systems that we've built. Right? And the governments that we run and the families that we are growing and forging, we, we have no power to save ourselves. <laughs> no amount of, of might, no amount of education will usher in peace on earth or in our extended families. Right? We, we can't have the power to defeat these expectations, the unmet expectations. But instead of hiding from this reality, instead of ignoring signs, right, this is the very context which makes the real Christmas, the real meaning of Christmas, irreplaceable. Right? Something that we can grab a hold of tightly and securely. Right? The, the Christmas joy, the, the Christmas hope, the signs of hope that we're looking for are pointing to one thing. And this isn't a surprise, right? It's Jesus. Right? The, the signs of Christmas that we are expecting, the, the one full of great joy and of peace and of hope, is all found in a baby. A little baby that is, that is given on that very first Christmas. Right? All, all along, the signs of Christmas should have been pointing us to the Savior born in a manger who is, is good news and who is that great joy. Right? So, so the real question is not, what are you expecting from this Christmas season? It should be, who are you expecting for Christmas? Right? Right? Even though all the signs around us are telling us, just have a happy family, just have this, this perfect meal with, with everything cooked at the perfect temperature and the, 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 the top-of-the-line toys, it's not what we're expecting, but who we're expecting, right? The signs are all there if we just open our eyes to the right signs. And so for the next few weeks, as we lead up to that big day, I want to take just some time to kind of shift our focus, Foundry Church, to the signs leading the way to the person of Jesus, right? Signs that point to the Savior coming at last. Signs that point to the, the good news and the great joy of Jesus. And today we're going to start at the end of the very Christmas story with the wise men, right? And the star that they followed on their journey. So let's dive in. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of Matthew in the New Testament, the very first book of the Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can use the Bibles that are in the seats in front of you. And on those Bibles, it's page 807. Matthew chapter 2 is where we're going to be today. Go ahead and turn there. Now, the, the Gospel of Matthew is the only place in the Bible that we find the reference to the wise men. And while this may be strange to us modern readers, why would you leave out such a, a cool group of people and such an important story like the birth of Jesus? Right? It makes sense, though, that it's only in the book of Matthew in the context of, uh, of the author and who he was writing to. You see, the, the four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all had specific ideas they wanted to impart to their, their very specific audiences. 
Matthew was most likely written to a Jewish Christian audience and interested Jewish people. And the gospel, this account of Jesus' life, pulls from many Old Testament prophecies to explain who Jesus is. And there was a specific sign, a specific thing that he wanted them to look at when he included the wise men in the story of Jesus' birth. So before I get ahead of myself, let's start reading with with chapter 2 and verse 1. It simply says this, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. All right, keep keep your finger there. Matthew says, Behold. And when you're reading in your Bible and you see that word, it means wake up. If you take notes in your Bible, you can just write that in the margin. Behold. Matthew is saying, wake up. Pay attention. The writer wants to make sure that he has our full attention. He knows how prone we are to fall asleep while we're reading this. So he shouts, wake up. Right? Make sure you're listening. He's saying this, this is huge, this, this point. You're not going to want to miss it. It's not what you would expect. Pay attention. Wake up. Don't lose this. Don't glance over this. Right? So what is so shocking? Right? That's, that's, that's what we have to ask. What is so shocking about these magi, these wise men coming to Jesus? Right? What, what sign does Matthew, the author, not want us to miss? Right, we'd be so used to the to this this Christmas story, this this annual telling of the Christmas story and of the wise men and these magi that we're surprised that Matthew wants us to really take notice. I mean, they they come every Christmas, don't they? I think we have some right back here in the back by the tree. Right, we, we probably have them with our nativities at home. Right? Why should we be surprised? Why is this such a moment where we need to wake up and take notice? Because, listen, the Magi is an ancient word referring to astrologers, right? pagan astrologers. And, and since they, they dabbled in the, the dark arts, we eventually got our English word magic from such Magi. Right? So, behold, Matthew says, Look at this, astrologers are coming, is what he's saying. Pagan sorcerers are searching for Jesus. Wizards want to worship. Behold, this is shocking, and this is spectacular. Now, spoiler alert, right? Contrary to the popular song, the wise men were not kings. But like what we said, they were these astrologers. They were, they were not too far from what we would call sorcerers or, or, or wizards. Guys, this is, this is big stuff if we look at it in that context, right? It's like Gandalf and Dumbledore are coming to worship baby Jesus, right? These guys are, are specialists in, in the supernatural. They're experts in astrology and magic and, and deviation, right? Uh, blatant violators of the Old Testament law, and they're coming to worship Jesus. Right? This would have been shocking to the Jewish readers uh, of Matthew's gospel. They would have been gasps in the crowd as this was being read aloud. 
Right? The, the whole Old Testament, the, the books these Jewish readers grew up listening to condemns these people and their magic and their, their, their way of living. So it is as if Matthew is saying, behold, here comes the sinners to Jerusalem. Here, here comes uh, the people who are missing the mark, who, who aren't living right. Here comes the sinners to Jerusalem. And look what they do next, right? Verses, verses 1, the second part there in verse 2. It says, Behold, the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. So listen, these, these sinners, these magi, are coming to Jerusalem, the, the Jewish capital of the world, to worship the Jewish king. What in the world would possess these Gentiles, these, these unbelievers, these sinners, these, these men who are missing the mark, come to worship the king of the Jews? A star, right? A star. Our first sign in this Christmas series, a star. Now, there's a lot of speculation about this star, right? There are theories about what it really was, what it, how it really worked, where did it really come from, but, but I don't think that really matters. I think what, what we focus on, uh, those things... When we focus on those things, it's kind of the wrong sign. You see, the most important thing about the star, the comet, the planet, the supernova, the special miraculous light, whatever it is, however we call it, right, is that God made it. And God made it to get these pagan sinners, these, these magi, to their Savior. Right? We don't know how the star did what it did because it's, it is clear that it was doing something that it could not do on its own. Right? It is guiding these magi to the Son of God so that he can be worshipped. So that these, these magi can worship him. There is only one person in biblical thinking that can be behind the intentionality of the stars. And that's God himself. And so the lesson is, is just plain and simple. God is guiding right, foreigners to Christ to worship him, and he's doing it right, by exerting global, probably universal influence and power to get it done. Right? That's what he's doing. Right? And we are always asking God for a, a flashing sign in the night to point us in the right direction. Well, here in the second chapter of Matthew, God puts a flashing sign in the heavens that says to everyone, look this way, wake up, right? pay attention. Everyone, look what's going on in the city of Bethlehem. Everyone, not just the Jewish people, everyone, even the, the pagan wise men, the magi, come and worship. You see, Foundry Church, we are over here looking for signs of a, a perfect Christmas, a perfect Christmas Eve dinner, whatever we have planned. And God is literally putting stars in the heavens to bring the imperfect to him. 
Right? God does not want a perfect Christmas. Right? God wants imperfect people worshiping a perfect king for Christmas. Listen, Foundry Church, we really should be aware of having a narrower vision of who can come to Jesus than God does. <laughs> don't gloss over that, right? We, we need to make sure that we don't have a narrower vision of who can come to Jesus than the creator of all things. Right? We, we can be so prone to write off people that are like these magi, but God doesn't. Right? He, he draws them. He woos them. He literally moves around the, the heavens. He does what it takes to reach out and have a relationship. He is seeking worshipers from among the priestly caste of a pagan religion because all he wants for Christmas is us. Worshiping the hope of the world, a baby named Jesus. And just skip down just a few verses to see what this worship looks like. Look at verses 9 through 11. It says, after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts. Gold and frankincense and myrrh, right? And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. They didn't bring a song, right? They didn't bring a sermon. They brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, some have speculated whether the gold represents Jesus being a, a king and frankincense, uh, him being a priest, because that's used in the temple, and myrrh for him being a sacrifice for us because that was a burial spice. Now, perhaps, right, and we're going to talk more about that next week, and the kids are, are downstairs right now digging into these gifts, not literal gold. But uh, they're downstairs learning right now about these gifts and how the, the Magi, even though they were different, even though they were of a different background, they weren't selfish. They gave gifts, right? But, but it seems that the, the main connection that Matthew wants us to make is, is to Isaiah chapter 60, where it says this. It says, Nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. So lift up your eyes all around and see they all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar. Now, does that not sound like a song that we know? All right, bearing gifts we traverse so far. All right, let's read on because this is an important part. It says, the, the wealth of nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the, the young camels of Midian and Epith, and, and those of Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. The wealth of the nations will come to the new king, 
is what he's saying. They will bring gold and frankincense. All the nations will come to the foot of the new king. And they will all bring their wealth, their gifts, their treasures, all to worship the good news, all to worship the king, all to worship Jesus. All of them, take a look, right? This Christ is not only king of Israel, but he is the king of all nations, the king of kings, and he's going to be worshipped. Priests and kings and rulers are coming to him to worship him, and, and they bring with them the, the best cultural products that they have and practices and resources. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh are just the beginning. You see, for us Gentiles, just meaning non-Jewish people, the sign, this, this, this star of Christmas is probably the most important sign of Christmas. and That's why I wanted to start here. Because it paved a way for us. It is a sign from God that he is here for all people. Each and every one of us. Here are the first worshipers and, and court magicians and astrologers and wise men. Not from Israel, but from the east, perhaps from, from Babylon. They were Gentiles. They were considered unclean, just like us. Right? Some of us are filled with, with shame from our past or our present. Some of us are sad beyond measure and we don't know if we can go on. Some of us have been in church our whole life, but come Monday morning, we're a different person. Right? Some of us don't know anything about this Jesus stuff and what it means to forge a lifelong reliance on him. But here is what I know, the sign of the star, the sign of the star says this about all. Of us. All of us are sinners. We've all missed the mark, and yet all of us are being called to worship the King of Kings. Right? The, the sign, the star points us to the manger and then to the cross. Right, where Jesus died for all of us. That's why we celebrate communion. Right? The, the sign says that I know you are hoping for a lot of things this Christmas. But maybe, just maybe, what you're really hoping for is Jesus and that life that is forged on him. So as I, as I call the band back up here, and I want to close with this. And maybe you've heard it before, but one of the, the, the movies that Christina and I watch every year during this time during the season besides A White Christmas, one of her favorite movies, and then The Muppet Christmas Carol, one of my favorite Christmas movies. And of course, we watch all the Harry Potter movies and Die Hard. I'm going on and on here. Die Hard is a Christmas movie. I stand on that truth. Now, one of the movies that we watch every year, though, is A Charlie Brown Christmas. Has anyone watched that one? It's a, you know, a classic. It's an older one. right? And there's this famous scene in the movie where everything has kind of come to a head. They're putting on a Christmas pageant. And everything is just falling apart, kind of like this morning here at the Foundry. right? <laughs> All the technology is getting messed up. And Charlie Brown is at the end of his rope, and he screams out this. He says, can't anyone tell me what Christmas is all about? Right? Because there's so many distractions, so many things going on. And Linus, just a little guy, he, he quietly responds with his blue blanket, his security blanket in his hand. He says, I can tell you what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. 
And in that moment, Linus, he walks out into the, the middle of the stage where they're going to put the pageant on, and he tells the story of Jesus' birth. But there's this special moment that you'll miss if you watch it too quickly, right? or if you just kind of look away for just a second. Right? There's this special moment during that speech that I always look forward to. It's the best part of the entire movie, and, and many people don't catch it. You see, Charlie Brown is, is best known for his uniquely striped like yellow shirt, right? And Linus, he's, he's most associated with his ever-present security blanket that never leaves his hands, right? The, this little blue blanket that he carries around with him everywhere. And throughout all the different comic strips in the newspapers and in the cartoons, Lucy and Sally and even Snoopy, right? Almost everyone at one point or another tries to separate Linus from his blanket, from his security blanket, and they never can. They never can separate this, this little boy from his security blanket. Even though his security blanket remains a major source of ridicule for him, right? even though he's, he's otherwise a mature and thoughtful kid, he simply refuses to give up that stupid little blue security blanket until this moment. Until the moment he walks out in the center stage and he says, Charlie Brown, I'll tell you what Christmas is all about. As he's telling the story of Jesus' birth, he drops the blanket. He just tosses it aside. Right? You'll miss it if you watch it too fast. Right? He just, it just goes away from him. He doesn't need it anymore because here is the truth of the birth of Jesus, Foundry Church. And what the sign of the star reminds us, that no matter what we think Christmas will bring us, good kids, lots of presents, a loving family, a uh, deer in my case when I go hunting again, we can drop those expectations, good, bad, and the ugly. We can drop them on the floor like Linus's little blanket and worship Jesus. Look, Linus's blanket and the star in Bethlehem, they all remind us that, that to see true peace, that to see true security and true joy in the one place that it's always been, it can always still be found at the manger, worshiping the King of Kings. So let's do that this season. And let's start right now with singing another song of worship and adoration to him.